Hi, this is Tuesday Night from A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, and you are listening to the Midwest Monsters. I'm excited. I'm sorry. I picked this topic. I love this movie. It's a scary movie. It's a scary movie. And it still affects me just the same. I cannot put that on. I gotta tell you, something about this movie worked for me. I was like, it rocked. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's debatable. But, I mean, it's a great movie. That, you know, it's my right as a viewer, as somebody who spends my money and time to go watch these films, to have my opinions and be disappointed. But that's what I love about about this group doing this podcast right now is that on so many pages <laughs> we're like right there with each other. But then I mean it, it's it's almost inevitable that uh, you know half the time we're going to go you're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I'm sorry about <laughs> that. Welcome to the Midwest Monster Podcast. And now here are your hosts. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boils and ghouls. We are back with another installment of the Monster Mash. Uh, as usual, don't know the number of it, and I'm the only one who cares anyway, so I'll get back to you on <laughs> I that. I enjoy that part. When I air it. We're up to about 23, I think. Awesome. Uh, Michael so, Jordan. Yeah, as, as you know by now, unless this is your first listen to the show, the Mash is where we pick... Uh, a movie each and mash them together. Sometimes we do themes. Uh, we've done one in the past that stands out called Night of the Mash, where we did, yeah. you know, movies with Night of at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, always fun. Uh, sometimes we bring movies that are more different than, you know, other times. So this time we have uh, kind of taken a classic approach to it. We've uh, picked some uh, black and white films. Uh, call them classics if you want. I would tend to. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go around the table and tell uh, what each of us picked. Bad chance. I picked The Invisible Man. Um, it's one of the old monster movies that I'd never seen. So I and it's been sitting on my shelf for probably about a year, um, unopened, and I wanted to reason. So when we talked about doing this classic mash, uh, I thought it was I thought it'd be great to bring out and kind of share with everybody else. I kind of had a strong feeling that the professor had already seen it anyway, which he had. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was my pick. Hot toddy. Uh, I picked the thing from another world. Um, mainly, it was a secret shame that I'd never seen this movie. <laughs> um, my favorite movie of all time is Halloween. Uh, the movie's played throughout Halloween as they watch it on television. And then John Carpenter made one of the best remakes ever. Um, some of you out there will argue because you love to th- not think that's a remake. But yes, that is the remake. Uh, Mainly the reason I chose it was because I love both those movies, and I thought it was a shame that sitting on my shelf is the thing from another world never opened. So very good, bones, right, bones. Uh, I picked Thirteen Ghosts, having seen the uh, remake from two thousand one. I thought, you know what, I've never seen the original, so I kind of wanted to take a look at that. Always a good reason uh, when you're uh, revisiting uh, anything William Castle related. My pick was Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, personal favorite all time for me. Uh, considered a universal monster, but uh, notably later than the the classic cycle. But nonetheless, part of that catalog. Uh, so that was mainly the reason I picked it. 
Uh, some interesting tie-ins we'll go into with John Carpenter and Creature from the Black Lagoon later. Uh, but yeah, uh, so what are we starting off uh, first with? Uh, let's go ahead and start off with 13 Ghosts. So, <clears throat> 13... Well, actually, do you want to give any... Oh, no, please go ahead. If you got it, go ahead. Um, 13 Ghosts is essentially a story about a family who, I guess, inherits the house, mm-hmm. uh, essentially. Yep. And um, there are ghosts within the home that can only be seen through special glasses or lenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also a treasure in the house that's being hunted for as well. Uh, I don't want to give too much away or anything like that, but it, it's kind of the synopsis of the film, essentially. Okay. 13 so. Ghosts, 1960, directed by William Castle, written by Rob White, starring Charles Herbert, the lovely Joe Morrow, Martin Milner, and Rosemary DeCamp. And everybody's favorite Wicked Witch, Margaret Hamilton. Yes! Yes! I, I, I can't believe I left that. that off here. I forgot. And the, the great thing about that film is they constantly kind of refer to her as a, a, the witch or a witch or something like that. I had kind of a nod And then there's to that, the that great thing. scene at the very end of the film where yeah. she picks up the broom. Yeah, yeah. I love those little nods like that. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Charles Herbert, uh, the kid, Buck. Yeah, Buck. Uh, Buck Zorba. Buck, Bob. Uh, <laughs> I actually interacted, interacted with uh, Charles Herbert in Pittsburgh. I didn't officially meeting but he was at a classic horror film convention he's passed away now right is it uh he may have in the last year and uh, this was his last feature i think but he did a lot of tv work yeah yeah the the little boy right yeah yeah Yeah, he did die i think last year i read yeah yeah so should have got his autograph son of a bitch damn uh yeah no classic william castle i uh we've covered some of him in the past but just yeah. to preface this uh for listeners if you don't know maybe you've seen the movie matinee which was modeled around him by yes. you know, joe, joe dante uh he was a, a favorite of monster kids in the 60s and, and late 50s he made uh i don't want to just dismiss him as gimmicky films because they weren't just that but that was what drove them um you had different interactive things for the viewers to experience uh, as you referenced in this one in the film they have the the viewers uh to see the ghosts yeah. um but the audience members also have that which he instructs at the beginning of the film uh the introductions from him were quite common in those films um mr sardonicus he has the crowd vote by screaming uh they go to they go to you know silence and and have the interaction with that on basically the outcome of the film um house on haunted hill uh, you know, they had things, uh, ghosts come sweeping in, skeletons, the skeleton, uh, yeah, the skeleton through the theater the and people running down the aisles. Oh, the acid bed. The Tingler, which is probably the most famous one with the things buzzing your ass in the seat, but he only had it in every so many seats. So the other Not people everybody who weren't getting it. it were just as scared by what in the hell's going on. <laughs> you couldn't do that in today's movie theaters. No, I want to. Not, so after the, not, after the, not after the climate of like they, shooting. They tried it for a special screen of Fifty Shades. and, and yeah. you, know, you, got a you got a tingle in the ass too. Yeah, so, got a finger in there. <laughs> I guess before we go through kind of the the summary of the film, I'm, I'm interested... Uh, since you picked it because of the remake, how you thought it stood up? Like, what kind of an experience was it for you? I, I think it helped me understand the 2001 remake better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the uh, the the glasses were kind of interesting because in the first, the original film, they looked like one thing, but in the 2001, they looked like what we would now probably call like Google glasses or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, um, I kind of enjoyed the original almost better than the remake. The remake seemed. Um, like the ghost just showed up for shock value every now and again. So I feel like I understood the remake better having watched the original yeah. film. You know what I gotcha. mean? Gotcha. Okay. Right Very good. 
So do we want to run through uh, the basic uh, premise of what's going on in this film now? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Zorba family finds out that it was uncle, right? Yes, uh, the uncle who was a man, a wealthy man obsessed with the occult. Um, the uncle was capturing, collecting, if you will, ghosts. And he passed away. And he left this family, the struggling family, my, because we get to oh, see that. Oh, they had nothing. Yeah, they, they literally had lost They're all having, their furniture. Yeah. They They're were in financial, yeah, yeah, they were in financial woes. Um, and he was a doctor. Or what was he? Paleontologist. Yeah, paleontologist. He's actually touring. Right, because uh, he was touring the museum in the beginning, right. So they inherit this house, and Benjamin Rush, the lawyer, tells him, he's like, you don't want this house. Mm-hmm. You don't no, you don't want this house. He's like, We don't have anything. We're gonna right. take this house. And we come to find out that Benjamin Rush has other Motives. Um, motives, thank you. He has other motives for them not taking the house. And it's basically stated there's conditions on them moving into the house. Like once they move in, they can't move out, they can't sell the house yeah, for profit. Which I think is a, a great little plot device to throw in there right. as to why you would continue to put up with this shit. Right. Like it's like, just Amityville it. Yeah, you can't yeah, you're desperate, but you also you like you can't just peace out on it. You have right, to stick right. with it. Exactly. So they move in knowing because he, he's they're told there's ghosts in the house. And, yeah, it's right out on front street. Right, yeah. and then Rush gives them a box, and inside the box contains the pair of special glasses. And what the glasses do is the glasses allow you to see the ghosts within the house. And they move into the house. Weird things start happening. Um, for some reason, Benjamin Rush, this however 30-year-old man, is hitting on this... 16-year-old, 18-year-old daughter. It was a different time. (laughs) But no, all that aside, like, we find out that the uncle, Uncle Zorba, had taken all his money in cash. Yeah. He had withdrawn all of his assets, and he had liquefied all of his assets, took the money in cash, and the cash was hiding somewhere in the house. So Benjamin Rush is trying to get his hands on this money before the Zorba family can find the money. And or even know about it, I right? Think. Right. I don't yeah, think they don't, even know about yeah, it in the beginning. I don't right. think they do. Yeah. So that's <laughs> Russia's thing, and then the Zorba family moves in, and they start to see the ghosts. And some of the ghosts, I want to admit, are kind of freaky. Some of the ghosts are like kind of lame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's what nineteen like fifty five or something. I mean, sixty. You know, sixty. Yeah. So I just said that. It's uh, <laughs> well, I'm not an <laughs> no, active listener, but no, it's uh, some of the ghosts. Uh, kind of interesting the way they did some of them. I mean, being as you know, from right. we 57 years ago or whatever. Right. I think one cool of the coolest things about this is the glasses. So the ghosts show yeah. up in a red, a red hue. It's a black and white film. The ghosts show up in a red hue. So William Castle tells you at the beginning of the film, if you don't believe in ghosts, when the screen, when we tell you, when we warn you, you look through the red part of the viewfinder. And that's how you watch the movie. But if you do believe in ghosts... You look through the blue part of the viewfinder, and you'll see what you're looking for. Yeah. And that's so dope, man. Because you can cool still concept. faintly see the ghost in the red. You can mm-hmm. see the outline of them. But against that blue background, those, yeah. that red just pops out, and those ghosts are there. It's yeah. kind of neat, man. The interactiveness of a movie is yeah. kind of cool. I yeah. dig that. Hot Toddy, thoughts on 13 um, Ghosts? Well, it was filmed in Illusiono. Oh, yeah, the term for it. The, uh, <laughs> the special glasses. And then... Um, it, 
I never got to see it like that, so I was curious like what it would look like, but apparently when you look through the blue, it, it erased the ghost. It, it, no, it, it magnified. Blue magnified the ghost, red erased I the thought ghost. blue, the blue filter caused the images to fade. The, the blue against the red background, since the ghosts were red, when you look through, like, if you look through a new pair of 3D glasses, when you close one eye, everything that's red well, kind of disappears and everything. When you look through one the way other eye, they did their job. Essentially, yeah. yeah. Um, and then um, not only did they inherit the house with the hidden money, but they inherited 12 ghosts. Right. We don't, we're not aware yet of the 13th ghost. Right. One of which is uh, who we inherited it from, Ooh. Dr. Plato. Spoiler. If you haven't seen this movie from 1960. <laughs> um, I think uh, two, two cool things that I have about it is uh, the writer, Rob White, who died in 1990, he actually, uh, it's good or bad, he had, well, he had four credits past his death of writing, which is re- Return, uh, or sorry, House mm-hmm. on Haunted Hill, Return to yeah, House on Haunted Hill, 13 Ghosts, and, and then Beyond the Reach, oh, uh, really? which was based on his book, Death Watch. So, um, yeah, he had an interesting career. I put up uh, on the anniversary of his passing. I was trying. Yeah, and to he make sure he that. had a he had a long list of, of accomplishments. I just thought it was cool that including after, a great mustache. Yeah, and after <laughs> after, after his death, it just just those four alone. Which I mean, I don't think Hollywood's going to be done with William Castle, rather right. less some of his own work. Um, and then I noticed something. Regardless, like I don't care if you're at a party or you're watching a lame ass movie. But when somebody pulls out that Ouija board, oh, yeah, I'm glad you touched on that. Oh. I was going to. I, and 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 for me, I, I didn't get to say my initial thoughts, but I've never seen Thirteen Ghosts. Until oh, I'm this. sorry. Um, I've only ever it. seen the remake. I've never been that impressed with the remake, to be honest. Yeah, uh, I wasn't either. Rewatching it, it does have rewatchability. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite actresses. And, and the gore, like I, I have to say. I kind of, I like this one better, but I liked what they did with the ghosts in the new one. But I yeah, mean, yeah, I'm with you. Put, I'm with they you. They put on more in design. Yeah, well, yeah, because each each ghost, it's like Gremlins too. Yeah, like well, here's the William Castle didn't like to spend <laughs> a whole lot of money. Here's the electric one. There's, here's there's the, the Indian Gremlin, and yeah. you know, so my my favorite though was like here's the lion tamer ghost with no head. <laughs> Here's the line. <laughs> the line was what it goes. I chuckled at that. I really did. Yeah. The executioner. Yeah. Uh, two, well, a couple of things. One, I, I, every movie that we're covering this, I've seen at least a dozen times. Right. I grew up watching these movies with my dad. What always scared me in this, what's funny about this, is it wasn't one of the ghosts. Like, I thought those were fun, they were spooky, but what actually scared the hell out of me was what we learned to come as the lawyer when he's walking. Yeah. Because the cobwebs are all over his feet. Right. And I can remember at a young age watching that going, oh, shit, like, they're they're here. <laughs> I was like, like, they're actually like, right. we, don't need, we don't need the glasses. <laughs> These aren't contained. And also, it fascinated me. And I still like the idea of collecting them, that he's gotten these from all over the world. Everybody can collect something. And has them in there. And I think that adds to uh, kind of the backstory on the ghosts and why it doesn't matter as much with their appearance. Because you've gotten people's imaginations working with what's going on here. The fact that he collected these ghosts and they're from all over the world in different times. Got like the medieval executioner. Right. Um, so while I, I completely agree, the remake has much better looking ghosts. Cause they, oh yeah. Oh cause yeah. They, the Absolutely. Only, I think the only thing they spent time on in that film was making those look cool. Cause they do like the one woman with like the blacked out eyes and well, the guy with the, the, the those box great. around yeah. his head. Yeah, the, like, the, those the, look the, great. the ghosts make the movie of yeah. the remake. And, yeah. and, and the gore is cool, but like, you know, you, sh- you should have more than that in a, in a movie. Um, 
Yeah, other than like the Ouija board, like I did not know that Margaret Hamilton was in this. Um, I will forever know that lady as the Wicked Witch. And I mean, like yeah. she's probably the sweetest woman when she was alive, ever. But man, when she appears on screen, I'm like, oh, it's Don't the witch. Love? She's unsettling, isn't Don't she? Don't you love that she, you know, she's housekeeper, so she's got the broom. We have multiple just kind of nods. And, 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 to, and like, yeah. we all yeah. know you were the wicked witch. You know, witch. we're going to touch on Invisible <laughs> Man later, but um, I never watched any of the sequels, so um, I get to Invisible Woman, and, and Margaret Hamilton is in that as well, so I thought that was kind of cool. That's cool. Um, she's a little bit. Yeah, all in all, I, I, I'm, this is like, for some reason, I've never watched it. I always watched House on Haunted Hill a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I've seen that. But, I mean, William Castle movies are fun. Um, I think the gimmicks, I, I, I kind of, I think gimmicks today would be cool. I mean, they don't yeah. have to do, I think the 3D one, they just don't get that you don't have to do every damn movie. Well, they've worn that welcome out. Yeah. yeah. And, and now and, we have panic rooms or the, where they make everything real and scary. That's kind of cool. I'd actually person. love to do one of those. Yeah, I would well, like, you know, like, I would, fun. you know, like maybe some Stanko vision or something. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Like, who farted? <laughs> okay, so uh, to wrap this one up, basically we've got Ben the lawyer who's looking for the money. Right. Uh, Buck knows where it is. Buck Buck's a little it. kid, and Buck looks for things, including Bob. Just kidding, that's from Uncle Buck. Uh, <laughs> he finds it. He tells Ben. He yep. shows Ben. What does Ben have to do now? Cover his base, or cover his tracks on that and kill him. And Dude, it gets, that's... gets pretty heavy there for a minute. Oh my god, I have that right here. Yeah, so, so I don't like the way that Ben followed Buck up the stairs. Yeah. That is creepy. If yeah. we're nineteen sixty, that's so because he's gonna skip out with the money. He can't do that and leave somebody that can tell. Like, well, he took it. So we go in and we get Buck in his sleep. We take him to the canopy bed uh, where he has planned to crush him with it, and the ghosts aren't having it, which is cool. Ghosts come in, they're like, nah, son. Yeah, and, and, and crush. <laughs> The lawyer with it, course, ben, and that's yeah. basically uh, the end of our our movie because now the family has all this money, their worries are gone, and hell, they can live with the ghost now. They're fine. They get it. Ghost helped them. And Ben's good looking, so you know he's a you know good looking ghost. Martin Milner, I'm sure, <laughs> would be pleased to hear that. <laughs> so yeah, we have our thirteen ghosts. Uh, yeah, check it out. I would recommend this to anyone who has the interest. I mean, you guys have all heard my my take on. I mean, I love William Castle movies, Tinglers. Up there on my list, I've said that before many times, and this is another one. I'm I'm glad I went back and rewatched this. I think it's a better film than the 2001 remake as far as the story goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, visually, though, the 2001 will always you know blow it away, obviously. But it's interesting to watch both of the, having seen both of them now. If you could take the first story with the you know the the remakes technological advances, it'd be amazing. I think what's important when when you watch movies like this though. <laughs> And you think about the year they came out is what they had like in 1960, you know, other than maybe splashing some color in it. Um, I was trying to think of like how an audience would have like received this movie. So you know, um, like some little a hole kid today could watch Dracula and be like, ah. But back back then when this stuff was new, like you know, yeah, I, I think audiences were probably pretty frightened by yeah, some of this stuff, and especially with the notoriety as. You know, you're going to be scared in the theater by maybe something else. So even if the movie's not that effective, everybody's already on edge in that theater and watching it. My yeah. only note that I, for some reason, skipped over was the house they filmed it in. Was The exterior was actually the um, the Winchester Mystery House, which I thought was really cool. Really? What? Yes. Mind blown. Yes. That's kind of cool. All right. So uh, And anybody that watches this movie will now have a curse put upon me. <laughs> and again, as, Tread the, lightly, as, as, the Warren, as the Warren couple has tried to tell us for years, 
quit playing with the goddamn Ouija board. <laughs> they right. actually gave you an education in that. They were like, Ouija means yes, yes. So I'm, now I'm always going to see a Ouija board and go like, it's a yes, yes board. You didn't notice that from which board? <laughs> I just, I, I don't know what. I, just, I, I don't know. Alright, All right, so on. moving on, we're going to travel back in time six years. 1954, director is Jack Arnold, writers are Harry Essex and Arthur Ross. The movie is The Creature from the Black Lagoon, starring Richard Carlson, Richard Denning, Antonio Marino, and the beautiful Julie Adams. Initial thoughts on The Creature from the Black Lagoon, hot toddy. Oh, uh, okay. This is another movie I uh, had never seen until Halloween of this past year. Okay. I don't know why. Um, I'm sure I've seen lots of bits and pieces, but never watched in its entirety. My dad would probably punch me in the face if he knew that. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, this is the second time I've ever rewatched it. Um, I loved it from first viewing, to be honest. Um, watching it both times, I can see so many movies that... that like, like, Jaws alone, like, Steven Spielberg had to take a lot of, yeah. of this movie from from it to uh, film Jaws. Um, the costume was amazing, in my opinion. Um, again, 1954. Um, this one was shot in 3D, so I tried to put myself imagining, like, never seen this kind of movie, and it's in 3D. Uh, I thought the acting was good, the scenery was good. Like, like I, I absolutely love this movie. Um... Loved rewatching it. Rewatching it, I actually watched the sequels as well. Um, Revenge of the Creature Part Two, young Clint Eastwood, briefly. Great movie. I guess Jaws 3D probably totally bit on that one, where it's you know almost SeaWorld. Yeah. And then the third one was just a turd for some reason. Yeah. But um, the first two were just magic. So I'm glad you enjoyed it, Matt Chan. Oh, I loved it too. I've, I mean, I'd seen this one before. As a matter of fact, this was, I believe, the only of the four that I had seen before. Okay. Um, love the movie. Oh, man, I got it. What can I say? Julie Adams is beautiful. And she's amazing in this movie. She does a great job. She's the only female in this movie. And she holds her own against all the men. You got men out there chewing up the scenery, especially that scene where they're fist fighting on the boat down below. Like, you got men constantly chewing up the scenery in this movie. And Julie Adams kills it. Yeah. And she has some of the most, and there's there's visuals, like Hot Toddy brought up, there's visuals in this movie that are so brilliant, so beautiful. There's a scene in this movie alone, like I want it as a, I mean, I, I don't know, however big I can get it, I want it as a 70 inch poster on my wall of, uh, it's Julie Adams swimming. And Riku Browning, who played the underwater creature, swimming upside down underneath her, mirroring that mirroring her image, and it's such a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Like it looks great. Oh man! Like there's so much about this movie that's visually stunning. He said it, man. The the creature even looks badass. Mm-hmm. Like that the scene where they're on the boat. There's a scene, guys, where they're on a boat and they've captured the creature briefly, and he they're holding him in a water tank, and you just see his face. They keep cutting to this water tank, and you just see this face, and like the whole time, it's just like, oh god, quit looking at me like that. Yeah, it's just it, it's, they it's, never they never hide him either. No, they, no, he's beautiful. So mm-hmm. it's like exactly, exactly. There's no reason to from the murk in the shadows. I'm with you, man. Uh, yeah, I picked this just because. I mean, it's just one of my favorites, and I, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find something that has stood the test of time the way this has. I mean, there's a lot of movies. Uh, you know, I watch. 
I watch silent horror films. Right. But they're aged. I still enjoy them. I've, I've learned how to enjoy them and watch them in, in a different way than just watching it, expecting it to be like something that came out five years ago. But this doesn't matter. I mean, we're, we're looking at, you know, a substantial length of time now since this came out. Oh, yeah. Over half a century. Yeah. And it still looks badass. Um, the way, in particular for me, what sold me as a kid and still does is the way the neck and, and everything around it with the gills moves as it's breathing. Yeah. That and how that just always looks flawless. And how they went that extra mile on it, that's, I think everything i mean the co- the creature design is great to begin with right but that's what makes it real like when you see that thing walking and moving in a wide shot and you see its neck bubbling out and going in and the flaps on the side moving because of that it's scary as hell to think because then it makes you think about like it being real as opposed to just gimmicky and fun like once you see that it, it sobers it up a little bit to think like man what if I jump in the water <laughs> right. and this thing's there and it gets out and, and this, follows me. And this like, thing in like Jaws, this thing's in a lake. I mean, it's in a lagoon, but yeah. I mean, this thing's in a small body of water. You yeah. can go to Brooklyn or you can go to someplace. It's going to climb out and get your ass as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I like how, I mean, I guess we can kind of run through some high points of the film. Right. But I like how it opens with the narrator uh, basically talking about, you know, with a Genesis story. And, and kind of putting the idea in people's head without hammering it, evolution. Right, because that's what my note on this is. The beginning of this movie is part church history, part Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Like, literally, because it's part, hey, when God created the heaven and the earth, but he created it from this explosion, yeah. you know? And, like, you're like, what? Like, nowadays, we would, scientists would lose their minds listening to this, but I, back yeah. then, you know, that was a neat theory. Yeah, so basically, we have a fossilized claw discovered in the Amazon. One that looks badass, by the way. Like, how often do you find something hanging out of the side of a wall <laughs> like that? But nonetheless, uh, it looks just absolutely great. The doctor who discovers it uh, goes to get help and right. uh, bring back help uh, to meet up and basically remove this. Right. And, uh, you know, they're studying the area and, you know, what's this from? And uh, we're starting to see, and I'm going to bring up my only complaint with the film, and maybe it's because my dad pointed it out to me and I can't shake it now, is those three notes screaming horns through the entire film, which they overdo. But you really first start to see it when the hand comes and you see like, oh, the animal. That never bothered, that actually I was always like, oh shit. What is it? it, Where it's like, (laughs) like. Like the whole movie. I guess I, I guess it didn't bother me. Sorry, guys. I, didn't even I, I, I actually enjoy, I enjoyed when it happened. I, was about to say, I know I exactly what you're talking about. Well, I do to a certain extent, but like about halfway through, I'm like, well, and it's still. Did, I'm like, did you write anything else? <laughs> it's, it's still new to me, so watching it for the second time, even because yeah. it's just like I forget where he's at, and then it's like, and I'm like, yeah. oh, you got me a little. Yeah. So uh, basically. And I'm not going to run through point for point of an exact summary of the film. Basically, we have this creature down here in the area where they've come to learn more about it. And what we get into is really uh, some bigger themes that, you know, can be applied to all kinds of different topics that we've argued about. There's like a morality tale that pops up between between David and uh, Mark. Yeah. Is it Mark? Yeah. Yeah. Between David and Mark. Like, oh, no, we're taking this thing back. Dead. We need to... 
huge discovery, and he's like, no, we got to take it alive because we need to study it. Yeah, yeah and, so it becomes this morality. And too. as you notice with these films, uh, you know, minus the first one we've already talked about, science is frequently a big thing in horror of the past because we didn't know well, as and, much. And, and this, this is the science era, too. The 50s was a lot the, of sci-fi. Yeah, people and, in the atomic age. Yeah. And so you got into a lot of all kinds of creations and creatures, but... With this, and especially in The Thing, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, it's that kind of, it dates back to King Kong even. Do right. we want to exploit this, or do we want to yeah. appreciate it and, and keep it intact? Right. And finding the happy medium between that. So basically with with these two men, I mean, we've got a whole crew here, including you know the lovely Julie Adams, but we have... Two guys butting heads on that. Oh, definitely, yeah. David we, Mark. Go. One is all about like this thing is dangerous. Like we need to kill it, or we need to get out of here. And the other's like, no, we need to nurture it. We need to study it. Right. And so there's a lot of back and forth on that. I think more than anything, for a little bit of the high drama to to fulfill a script, because you don't just want to watch the, the, right, right. the beefcake fights. Right. But then I think <laughs> those, that's the thing of it is I think shorts. that's why we can still watch this now and it's so great is because those two guys going back and forth do we exploit it do we do we cherish it nowadays uh, David if we if we just applied that to a 2017 movie, uh, David is the over eager scientist, the guy yearning for knowledge, and Mark is the big money guy. Yeah, like he's no, this is my money. This is, and we yeah. see that you, a lot in movies. Let me now. remind you. you yeah, let me remind you. Me. He's paying for this. Yeah, yeah. So that's still a common theme yeah. that we produce movies with now. Well, and I also think uh, a pivotal moment in the film uh, is when you're headed on down to check things out, and you come across the campsite campsite which has been devastated somebody's been murdered and you choose to clean it up and get back to work <laughs> now <Hello. laughs> i have to ask you a question on that okay re-watching this first time i didn't really care but re-watching this for the podcast is the creature in the black lagoon the same one that killed the men at camp because yes. they did find a fossilized hand stating that there were other creatures yeah so, I, t- I took it that those creatures they, were from the past, though. Yeah. But what they I, were fossilized. The, well, my thing. Well, I know the one. The one was fossilized, but that would indicate that there's more than one. So I was wondering because at camp was up here, and then the Black Lagoon is miles down river. Did this thing follow them the whole way? Which is sure could happen. Or is this a this was one that killed the two guys at camp? And this is another one that habitats this lagoon. Um, I was wondering because yeah, they no, said they made a point. They made a point to say that there was matching limestone and fossils in both areas, which would state that it's very possible that these things grew up in both places. So I was yeah. just wondering if there was just one or if there was more. That's a good question. I I don't know. I, I, mean, I took it as one. Yeah. Okay. The only reason I took it as one mainly is because of the arguing between the two that we just talked about of. Uh, you know, protecting it versus ending it. And right. there's kind of this sense of, like, this is it. Like, we can't, well, I don't. We can't ex- you know, exterminate this this creature because we're down here to study it and we found a living one. So well, now, I think when I was watching this, I, you had, can interpret that. I had that mindset of the, um, like, we talked about this before, the modern-day Bigfoot. You know, like, some people see it in the Andes, some people see it in the Alps, some people see it in Canada. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like, it's still the same. It's like there's not one running around the world. So it was just like, oh, well, we're 
10 miles, 20 miles downriver. Mm-hmm. Is this the same one or is this one that lives here and one that lives there? So I wanted to jot that down just to get opinions. No, that's no, that's a great point. No, was this the same one that stocked Brook Shields in Blue Lagoon? <laughs> <laughs> no. All right on. Uh, the one thing I got to point out, this is a this is a 1950s thing. The guys in this movie are badasses. They're beefcake. Legit. Well, not only beefcake, but legit badasses. They're like, there's the creature. No shirts, no nothing. Jump in the water. Yeah. Like, we're going to go fucking wrestle this thing yeah. to the ground. I'm like, I'm like, get back in the boat. Like, I am every... I am every... Well, she, she was the same with that. They're like, miss, get back to the boat. <laughs> well, I think I, I'm literally every best friend in a horror movie. I would definitely <laughs> die in a horror movie. Because I'm sitting there like, don't go out there. Stay in. Why are you doing that? And these guys are just like, no, no shirts, just swimming out, paddling. Yeah, you know, they don't give a shit. I, I did try to to look up because uh, this is kind of uh, I'm not familiar with the story here, where like Dracula is based on a book and Invisible Man and etc. Um, all I could find, I don't know if I'm right or wrong here, but it's something they heard like um, oh, there were uh, there, there was like a Mexican legend or something, mm-hmm. and yeah. a humanoid creature that a, yeah. supposedly lived in South America, and then they wrote the movie from that. But uh, I don't think it's like a well-known legend where like a lot of the other Universal monster movies were already had classic. Yeah, or it came from a book, or mm-hmm. so I feel like this was fresh, anyways. Yeah. And then um, this has never had a remake. I know, I know, it's they're gearing up for one for the for the reboot, which is needed. But for some reason, um, never a remake ever. And then um, he's also rarely appe- like he was in Monster Squad. Right. And then Uncle Gilbert on the monsters. But this isn't <laughs> something that continually pops up either is the right. creature. Uh, and everybody at this table probably already knows this. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Uh, but just in case listeners haven't heard it, the reason Village of the Dam got made by John Carpenter was because they were going to let him remake Creature from the Black Lagoon. No, there was a whole 80s... Yeah, I talked about Universal. I, I, I said I wish that um, there was a whole like Clyde Barker was gunning up for the mummy. But that specifically and, is why he made Village of the Damned was that was the deal, and then right. it tanked, and they were like, ah, I don't know about that, and I think that's what disenchanted him. Because I think he was attached to Invisible Man too, wasn't he? And he did memoirs. Maybe, but, but I know but, specifically um, that Land- was the Landis was um, like all these big directors were attached to Universal remakes in the eighties. Early '90s, yeah, and none of them came to be. Yeah, um, I guess that one was pretty close, and that's a bummer because I think that would have been badass. I'd like to see a card. Uh, so, so our crew digs and digs and digs for days. <coughs> that doesn't do anything. Fast forward, we're we're on the boat on the water, and we decide we're going to try flushing him out with poison. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a cool idea. It, it doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> just pisses the creature off. Uh, we begin a cat and mouse. Uh, the creature's coming uh, aboard the ship. Oh, and let's step there real quick. The creature comes aboard the ship. The mm-hmm. creature ain't fucking around. Yeah. I like that about this yeah. because even in 1954, the creature's like, nah, I'm going topside. Yeah. And then grabs people to boot and they're, jumps in the water. They're in the room and he's just like, I'm going to reach in and fuck with yeah. you. <laughs> he's like, I already hurt you once. <laughs> the hand in. But yeah, so he jumps on, he flees, they chase him. Uh, something that I love, just they didn't need this in the film, but I think it helps it. I love it is his grotto, the cave, yeah. how we can swim down deep under to get to it, or you can go the beachside entrance. I thought that was great for storytelling. Uh, it opened up some possibilities to make things a little bit less ridiculous for what they wanted to do. Right, right. Um, but I like that we go discover that. 
which I don't know, it just adds some kind of fantasy and depth to this creature. That's where he lives, it's his own special yeah, place. Yeah, and so I, I thought that that really, really helped it along. That's also where all the famous publicity stills that you see from the movie, including the autograph that I got from Julie Adams, is, you know, from down in the I think the, that's the, the same one I got. Yeah, and we all met I, her, by the way, yeah, which yeah, was yeah. a wonderful experience. I had her sign a little 11 by 17. Yeah, so... Basically, Williams and Reed continue to argue over staying versus leaving. Right. Um, Lucas, who's also on board, pulls a knife on them and orders them to leave. That gets their attention. Uh, he's the he's the captain, right? Yeah, and they're and, like, and, and, and this captain is so great because he's a mix between Popeye and Blue Dog. Yeah, no. he's, he's the only one that returns for any of the sequels too, right? He's in yeah. part two. And so they're like, okay, yeah, that's a knife. Uh, it's time to go. You're right. Uh, and they can't because the boat has now been blocked. We, oh, dude. So great. Yeah, we assume by our creature, which adds another little layer, uh, you know, and depth to what we're dealing with. This isn't, you know, like so many movies that would come, especially in the next few years after this, with just the expressionless, you know, ridiculous looking creature that marches towards the camera. Like, this guy's fully articulated moving, and not only is he doing that, he's also doing shit like stalk him and block their ship in. So, I mean, truly lending itself to the human aspect of oh, this yeah. creature, I think, which is just badass and what makes it kind of elevate. Um, they continue to argue these two doctors because they can't get out, they have to figure out how to unblock it. Um, Reed knocks out Williams. Uh, Reed then goes into the water to unblock the ship. And uh, he is surprised by our friend. And uh, Williams at the same time, who he had just knocked out. But uh, Williams hits it with the spear gun. The creature in turn takes Williams, and they struggle. Battle. Wrestle, as my notes say. Right. <laughs> uh, which is one of the more impressive scenes of it, because oh, you start to get this wild feel for the animal that you're dealing with when you see all that mud and dust kind of fling up from, yeah. the, oh, from, yeah. the, from, the, from the bottom there, yeah. which th I think instantly makes you think all the National Geographic videos you've seen, and it <laughs> kind of gets in your head to think like, oh, this thing, like, it's probably going to mess actually, him up. That's actually one of my notes. He's very crocodile-like. I was thinking alligator. In, yeah, especially in the way that he takes Mark, he grabs Mark by the leg later, Yeah, and take, drags him down to the bottom and has his way with him. Yeah. Like, he's very, yeah. Yeah, and so within that battle, Reed comes to his rescue, but William floats up, and he's been killed from it. Yep. So we have a a, a true another victim there. Um, Reed takes the poison with him and uh, waits for him to get close, which I thought was great. Uh, it kind of makes you think of Jaws and smile and throwing that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he gets him, uh, and I won't go tit for tat on this, but basically they get it cleared out. They end up with the poisoned creature back in the grove uh, because he has come aboard and taken K, which is a great scene. Awesome. In that battle. Awesome scene. Comes up and just right off with her. Um, and just they grabs her and jump, yeah. jumps in the water, dude. And uh, the great scene with him picking the doctor up down there in the battle. Uh, but ultimately, we end up um, shooting him. And the doctor finds the happy medium of stop. And yeah. he goes off into the water with, in my opinion, the perfect ending. Because, oh, definitely. Because there's been some carnage. Our people can get out of here. Some people can survive, and we don't have to know if the creature's destroyed. Right. There's him, a chance he's dead, but we get to watch him take his final plunge down into the water. Oh, dude, just sinking, lifelessly sinking into the water was the, the perfect ending shot. Yeah. Because he's just so still. Yep. And just he Because he, he, he floats, he swims down there a little bit, and then all of a sudden you just see him kind of go rigid, and then just drifts down into the bottom. Such a great movie, dude. Yeah. 
Very good. Oh, definitely. Recommend this to anybody, even if you don't watch films from. Oh yeah, if you don't, even if you don't watch horror movies, man, check this out. This is good. I think something we did. I don't know if we mentioned Ben Chapman, who's plays the uh, Gilman on Land. Yeah, good point. Oh, um, and Enrico Browning. I I don't remember if I he was at a convention I was at or not. But I'm first one. Your first. So he was at the one. I I'm was angry in with because first he's years. he's also he's the last surviving actor of the Universal Monsters. Um, he was so come the, around again so I can meet you. He was at the first convention. <laughs> I know he's doing one in a couple of weekends, but I think it's over on the East Coast. But he's still doing them. And um, a, a weird tidbit, which I don't even think I wrote down, was that the director, like, they didn't want any kind of mass or oxygen or anything. Like, he didn't want bubbles to be seen. Yeah. So the whole point was, this thing's just breathing underwater. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty cool, but then by the sequels, it's just like... Yeah, that's what they talk about. They talk about the bubbles coming out the top of his head. They were yeah. in part three, they were like, bubbles is coming out of his head. Yeah. Right on. So do you, do you want to move on to Universal? Let's or? do it. Alright, so we're going to take another trip now with another Universal movie. Uh, as soon as it loads. <laughs> uh, we're going to go into The Invisible Man. 1933. Directed by James Whale. Frank, director of Frankenstein, The Old Dark House, and Bride of Frankenstein in later years. And written by R.C. Sheriff. Based on the H.G. Wells story. Um, starring Claude Rains. William Harrigan, and then Gloria Stewart. And there's a little tidbit, guys. Gloria Stewart is the cute little old lady from Titanic. Yeah, I was going to say, she's with Rose. The heart of, with the heart of the ocean. That is Rose that talks to Bill Paxton during, and then dies I'm the sorry. End. Go ahead, Rose. <laughs> like, I didn't know that. Like, so that, that made, that gave me she's an extra also, little layer, uh, dude. the lead uh, female in the old dark house as well. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Very cool. But that was just so great, man. Like, go ahead, man. That's quite a career. Oh, definitely. Initial it, thoughts. Oh, I, I love The Invisible Man, dude. I did, I, coming into it, I didn't know what to expect, especially for a 1933 movie. I bought it because it piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. But sitting down and actually watching it far surpassed anything I thought it was going to be for a 1933 movie. Yeah. Killed it. Hot toddy. Um, Had you th- seen this one? Th- this is another one that I, I first viewing completely was last October. Um, so this is the second time I've ever seen it. Um, I never knew that James Well had directed this movie, so I feel like I should get my gay card revoked. Um, so I don't, I've never seen Old Dark House, I still haven't. Um, but Frankenstein, Bride, Love, um, I think he's a brilliant director, especially for, uh, you know, he kind of did movies that, that weren't really, I think Frankenstein, they, they made him do certain stuff, but it was still a great movie. Where his other movies, he kind of got away more with doing what he wanted a little bit. Mm-hmm. He um, made him a lot of money with Frank. Yeah, and I mean, and like, like before I go any deeper too, like, um, I kind of watched the little documentary, and it, it made, I want to revisit the Gods and Monster movie yes. uh, about um, the relationship with James Well, and, and right before he he takes his own life. But um, I don't know. I think it's an awesome film. Um, Claude Rains is like a big deal to me too, and and the fact that he's not even seen until the end of the picture. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to start <laughs> there with that. That's a, a great point. Uh, Claude Rains. This was his first venture into films, right? He was um, a stage actor. Yeah, and he he acted with James Whale on the stage over in England, and Whale had the success with Universal. They put him on this. They actually had. Uh, I've already lost the name of the director that was originally slated, but it was a different director and Karloff. 
And he came on, switched the writer, switched everything, put a stamp on it. And from top to bottom, this film's wonderful because of James Whale and his decision-making and direction. But in particular, Claude Rains, he brought him here. I mean, he was already over here and auditioning, but it was going horribly. Like, he, he had no experience in front of a camera. And, uh, you know, Whale just had to have him for the voice. That, and had to have him. And wasn't that one of the biggest things was he had that particular, the way he said things, his articulate. And yeah, because he could act his, without right. expression, just exactly. solely through his voice. And so there's this just wonderful relationship between the two where he basically goes to bat and uh, gets him on there. And uh, there's stories early on of Claude Rains joking about, you know, roles and what he was taking. And then he realized he was going to be wearing bandages goggles of a fake nose to cover up you know and give him the face and he just had a, a quite a laugh over it um i i wish i would have jotted the quote down on that but yeah he was brought in solely for his voice which just magnifies the decision making of whale in any film he was making but the ones that we care about the early horror films that he made um you know from top to bottom they had great scores great cast even the character actors in this film are cream of the crop uh, not household names unless you've watched a ton of these movies and like, care. Like the but old like, lady? Yeah. Uh, Uno O'Connor. Yeah. Uh, Holmes Herbert, who plays the chief of police. E.E. E. Clive. Forrester Harvey. These guys had different faces throughout tons of the Universal movies, but they were never all in it together like this. I mean, there really isn't a weakness with this cast. He had scene stealers everywhere. And so, uh, I mean, the way it's shot... I mean, the special effects, we are now coming up on 100 years. <clears throat> Still look great. Still blow oh, my mind. I, I, this, this one in particular, and it's 1933, because watching it now holds up. Yeah, and that's the... If I was an audience it. member in the 30s, I would have been... I probably would have left because yeah. I'd have been like, devil's magic. Yeah. <laughs> devil's magic. I would have been like, this shit ain't right. I'm <laughs> See, out. There's this great... Uh, on the DVD I have, and I... Toddy and I, Hot Toddy and I watched the same documentary, and it's uh, at one point Claude Rains' daughter is they're talking to her, oh, and yeah. she talks about going to the theater mm-hmm. oh, at the opening to see this, and her dad didn't want to be noticed, so he pulled his hat down low and then put something up over his face, you know, yeah. and then he said, she said, we got to the the ticket taker who happened to be the owner of the theater, and he was like, two please, and the guy instantly recognized his voice. It was like, oh no, Mr. Rains, come in, right? Yep. And she talked about how her dad talked the whole way through the movie, like, oh, this was this, and this is how we shot this, and this is how we shot that. And the most interesting thing was the um, the scene where he unbandages himself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first times that I'd heard of where they did four separate shots. They shot that four different ways on four different plates, and That's then insane. put all the film together. It's like, uh, was it Black Seriously. or Velvet or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. I, I think my biggest note on it was, uh, and, and and watching this thing, because um, it kind of made sense, but it's, it's I had, it's a little bit more, it's never silly, but it's a little bit more lighthearted mm-hmm. for the first picture of a Universal monster movie. Right. But and I kept thinking, and I even, I, I know, she, Invisible Man's really more a sci-fi movie. Oh yeah, this has movie. always been a fringe. But I, but I but I did see the little tidbit that H.G. Wells and I don't remember the first movie or first couple, but he was completely unsatisfied with with his earlier works because his stories aren't just like this really dark matter, and he hated it, and so he loved 
the light, like, you know, the fact, uh, there's one scene where he's got the boots on and he's singing the song and, um, it, it, it never takes me out of the movie ever, but that was my first thing. It was really cool to see that like, well, HG Wells, the original writer had an issue with, he didn't want this to be all dark and, and gloomy and. Um, I think if it was too, because I think I think for each, um, if you take all the Universal monsters, they they all have similarities. They're all really different, and I think that's what makes each movie. Um, and it's funny because the the franchises kind of get watered down as they go, like mm-hmm. like with the sequels. But um, I think the reason that each one had a series though was they came out. Um, I mean, this is one studio. Like I can't think of a studio that does this where. Um, to put it in today's terms, where, where they would do a Freddy, and then here's a Jason, and you know they all try to do it, but at most most studios have like one or two of these franchises, and and Universal kept doing it, and I feel like at least for the first movie, and and some series carry off well, um, but they even though it's lighthearted, it still is taken very serious. Yeah. And, and I mean, damn the special effects of this damn movie, Seriously. it looks so good, like. We could spend. This the next... makes me angry. This is why I'm not a fan of CGI because yeah. CGI, if it's needed, um, if you're just doing it to CG, to, should be corrected. It, yeah, if you're if you're using CGI to cut corners or save time, you shouldn't be using it. Yeah, CGI should be used because that's the best way to do that effect. Yeah, dude, this movie to me is really the uh, it's the uh, you'll understand what I'm saying when I explain. It's really the original Spider-Man story. This is the with great power comes yep. great responsibility story because it's, it's, it's the morality tale of the fact that this man has gone ma- has driven himself mad and he was this, he was a good man right right with this drug he has driven himself mad he's lost it and I think Reigns does an amazing job of teetering on the edge of brilliance mm-hmm. and mad in this film especially the scene like you were talking like when the when the constable comes up for the first time and he's Oh, you want to know? And he starts peeling everything off and then takes his clothes off and he's running around as just the shirt. and do. I mean, the voice, because he's making like, not like Daffy Duck, but you know, Daffy Duck-esque. Woo, yeah! You know, just yeah. letting you know. And then just the little things and the comments that are made, the way the way he says shit, like when he knocks the baby carriage over, when mm-hmm. he's running down the street, here, you want the mic? You know, and like, yeah. just little things like that. He, You can tell that he's just right there. He's got that character so dead to nuts. Yeah. That you don't need to see who the man behind that mask is. Yeah, no. And he, when you do at the end, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, his, his performance was wonderful. The direction from Whale made this not just a gimmicky film, but solid from start to finish. Um, Reigns went on to have some great roles with Universal. The one everybody knows him for is the dad and the Wolfman, which somehow a small British man. He's responsible for creating the big, slick American Lon Chaney. But nonetheless, he's great in that. He There's one that probably not a lot of the listeners have heard of called The Man Who Reclaimed His Head, which I've is great. It. It's kind of preachy uh, for, for its time, but it's... Uh, I have the X-rated version of that. <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, yeah, the 42nd Street version. Uh, no, it's great. But um, the interesting thing with what you're talking about with all the sequels and, and these franchises that they built is that with the exception of Bride, they mainly started out as just one-offs. And when the studio got well, he, he didn't... So he was... Uh, they wanted Frankenstein too immediately, right? Yeah. And and because Bride came after Invisible Man. Bride is that came, right? Bride came years later. Yeah, so... 
Yeah, well, because I, I don't, I, I don't think he was it's interested not later, later. Yeah, well, I don't think he was interested that much in Invisible Man as much as no. they were like, we want Frankenstein too. Yeah, and he didn't want to do it. But all I was gonna say to, with what you were saying about the franchises is, uh, Son of Frankenstein hits in 1939 and basically saves them from ruin, and suddenly it's time to crank them out. And the great run came basically within six years. I mean, it's like a 15 year span of all that classic horror, but the the most of the bulk of it we know came from six years when they just went nuts with these franchises. Yeah, sorry, which, yeah. yeah, but that's still notably. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Oh, and and the, this is another one too, right? That there is spawned four sequels, plus Abbott yeah. and Costello. Um, the remake comes out next year with Johnny Depp, which again they're doing a that can whole, work a whole franchise. I'm not disappointed, but I can't think of another straight up remake. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of like memoirs of an invisible man and a lot of things. Yeah, they haven't on tried it, to tackle. This. But it's not like Dracula where we receive two a year, right? Um, um, to echo what you were saying, Mad Chan, I like the comparison to Spider Man, but also just comic books in general because we have, uh, in many ways, the classic plot and archetypes that yep. comes with that. Within we have our main guy who's in a bad spot uh, from the work that he's gotten into. We right. have the woman that he loves no. left behind being preyed on by the co-worker and then the good co-worker who has good intentions. Right. Um, played by uh, Henry Travers, who everybody knows is Clarence the, the angel from It's a Wonderful Life. Um, but that's that's basically the premise. We don't have to run through the plot because it's right. very basic. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Jack Griffin, which is Claude Rains, checks into the hotel, which is a great opening scene I, with the snow blowing what, in. Did, did you not think, uh, as soon as that scene comes on, I think of American Werewolf. Yeah, well, yeah, because yeah, yeah. small and, well, it's, yeah. it's called the um, the lion's head, mm-hmm. yeah. it's a slaughtered lamb, yeah. Yeah. and then the, the throwing darts, and it's yeah. all chitter-chatter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we got him checking in, he is clearly running from something at the beginning, uh, we've got the nosy people that I won't love, quit I crying. love the, the, I don't, is she the... Uno O'Connor? The, the owner of the bar, yeah, whatever, I love just, her. She's I love her. Ah! <laughs> she made quite she a few films. She runs down the stairs. But, uh, we flash <laughs> back, we learn about, uh, back at home, uh, where, uh, Dr. Cranley, played by Travers, is there, uh, and his daughter Flora, who is the one that has the love interest with Jack. Um, and they're worried because he's been gone a month, so now we know Dr. Kemp's been out. Um, or not Dr. Kemp, sorry. Dr. Kemp is the one betraying Jack, right, Dr. Right, Griffith. Right. Uh, the locals, meanwhile, push back against Griffith. That turns to shit. He's, he has the great scene where you want to see, and, and yeah. unveils yeah, it, yeah, um, he, and flees, and basically proceeds to terrorize and taunt the townspeople. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just build up, basically, and learn more about what happened to him. Um, he used, uh, monocane, monocane which is right. from East India, and right. it's a drug, basically, that bleaches out, uh, you know, his, his skin tone and everything else. We don't want to dig too deep into scientific reason. Right. It works for the story. <laughs> um, and, but the most important part is that it drives the subjects eventually insane. Right. Which is why we start to get a more maniacal character who we know is, at, at his core, originally good. So it adds some depth and sadness to watching it unfold because we've got a woman that loves him. This isn't really what he wanted. It's just a a monumental boo-boo. When Griffith goes back to Kemp, Mm -hmm. like when the Invisible Man goes in, that whole scene, I thought that was brilliant. He sits there, he's like, yeah, get me this, get me this. Is this how you prefer me? You know, that whole scene is great. But when he starts unveiling his plan, like I said, like I was talking about earlier about Reigns, that it's just so brilliantly done because his first plan, and I know this isn't a script, it wasn't him, but the plan is, 
I'm going to kill people. Yeah, no, no, I'm going to go kill people. I, I would like to run a train off the tracks. I would like to, you know, I want to cause some chaos and see what I can get away with. Yeah. And guess what? You're going to help me. And then, yep. after I cause all this chaos, then I'm going to try to figure out how to bring myself back. And after we figure that out, I'm going to make you the Invisible Man for a little while because I might need a rest. Yeah. I mean, like, he he plays it's, it's that crazy. whole scene, dude. That's so amazing. I'm glad you touched on the train. I put that... uh Universal monster style. He was the Jason Voorhees <laughs> because he he killed uh, he fo- murders four people on screen, eighteen members of a search party, and off screen der- derails a train with over a hundred deaths. Yeah. <laughs> so he's our uh, he's our Jason Voorhees with yeah. body counts. So yeah, he he wreaks the havoc after the betrayal. He ultimately gets his revenge. Uh, the big no-no though is killing the policeman. That yeah. usually doesn't go over well. Right. Uh, but he uh, ties Kemp's hands yep. in the car, uh, drives him right off the cliff. Scene wasn't in the original book though. Yeah, um, and basically we have Griffin being apprehended and killed. But as that happens in the hospital bed, we get to see him You're right. because now Mono Kane is not working in his system as he's died, and we get to have the unveiling. Thus introducing American audiences to Claude Rains, which as a kid I just thought was the most badass thing in the world. Oh, dude! Because dude. like it just that skeleton the fades deal. in, yeah, and then you get to see in. it build yeah, up. Yeah. yeah, that that was great. But no, I'm glad everybody really enjoyed it. I, I the, always have the one thing that I didn't buy. I no, no, I mean I didn't buy about the Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. Like the one thing that kind of irked me because I got so into the movie, I was just like. He would have never just laid down in a bale of hay and went to sleep. That's bullshit. He would have went upstairs. He wouldn't have sleep. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, he'd have been more careful than that. But everything has to come to an end. Everything yeah. has to come to an end. He's an invisible something. man. Why not? Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so all right, uh, we're all so, good on that one. I recommend this to anyone who has oh, the interest. I, I actually, I, I don't, again, I've never watched any of the sequels. I, I made it up to part five. Uh, the Return I like really well. I never knew Vincent Price was yeah, in that, it. I, I enjoy that. Um, Invisible yeah. Agent I think was okay. I can't remember. Agent was okay. I thought Woman was actually offensive, and I haven't watched the fifth one. But yeah. um, Universal monster movies are always fun. So. Yeah. I would recommend this one to anyone, which I won't always do with something of this age. Sometimes that takes a special kind of you know, interest beforehand to really get the full effect and enjoy a movie. But I think this one can be watched by anybody. I think even it just looks too damn cool. If you're not a horror fan, I think you would like this movie. Okay. So moving on. Finally, the thing from another world, 1951 directed by Chris. Is it Nivey or Nivey? Here's all that really matters. Howard Hawks directed this. Howard Hawks. Yeah. And that's (laughs) that was my second. Howard Hawks uncredited. Yeah. And then written by Charles Lederer. Uh, starring Kenneth Toby, Douglas Spencer, Margaret Sheridan, James Arness, and James Young. Yes, James Arness is the thing. Uh, yes. Went on to be uh, the main guy on Gunsmoke. Yes. But they had his ass scaring everybody. <laughs> and, 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 he, and he was 6'7". So. He's a big boy. Um, one thing I want to point out starting off with this that I've always found fascinating is that this is a, a seminal work for uh, inspiration. And what I say by that is for the most part, like people who are making movies as as we were coming of age and watching films cite Jaws, this is the one for all the generation before. Like Joe Dante, for instance, has had Kenneth Toby in a bunch of his movies. He was in like The Howling and Gremlins 2, I think, Inner Space. He was in a string of those movies with him. And many of these guys cite this as the one. I had a, I had a list of like Ridley Scott and John Frankheimer, Tobey Hooper... 
Toby, Toby. No, Tobe. I love Toby. That's Tobe. what we call him. Yeah. We call him Toby. No, I love that it's stuck. <laughs> Toby Hooper, Tobe. John Carpenter, obviously on John Carpenter. Yeah, just a string of them. Yeah. That they all cite this because much of what's going on in this film, I think, for storytelling purposes, became more common. But I think at the time, this really made people's minds just kind of expand with their imagination and right. the idea. And the way it's shot, it's just, it's a great movie. My, and it my, still uh, holds up this, well. this is the first time watching this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Chad was asked if he could borrow it. And I was like, I don't want to talk too much because we're going we're gonna to talk about it now. Right. But I was like, I can't lie to you. <laughs> when the thing comes on the screen, I was kind of scared. Yeah, dude. Um, the, the scene, and I, I don't think I expected it for, for the time period and knowing that a man is playing an alien. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm expecting like, Ugh. but no, the fucking door just bursts open. And there's this guy that fills the fucking door, and I'm like, holy fuck! Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it was kind of, it was scary. How great is that scene when he opens the door? And he's oh just yeah, and and there. I was telling him, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't think you could have done the John Carpenter version in the '50s, and so they did what they could, mm-hmm. and it was so effective for what they did. Yeah. Um, and at the core of it, it's still vegetation. It's yeah, just it, a different presentation. And, and, and I read somewhere that uh, they, they had filmed some close-ups of him, but they were like, it doesn't work. So they, they scrapped all the close-ups. And you really don't fully ever see him. And damn, like like the scene where they catch him on fire, I'm like... Oh, dude, that, there's, that's... There's quite a few scenes up. where I'm like, this is actually pretty... Like, I can see why this influenced so many yeah. of... Like, the people that I love, this movie influenced them. Yeah. Dude, when he walks in that door... Mm-hmm. And they throw, they they literally throw that shit and catch him on fire. Mm-hmm. They bust that shit over him. It's like, Whoa! like I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm having a mini freak out. And then he hops out the window, and you're like, Jesus Christ, what yeah. the hell? And, and I think I had that in my notes somewhere that that's that's to most people's knowledge, that's one of the first scenes where they they did like live on set where they actually catch the stuntman mm. on fire. Um, no, that's a good point. That wasn't common. And, and yeah, and I'm like, I tried to think of an earlier picture, and I'm like, I can't. Yeah. So and I, again, I think of uh, Fifty One. Somebody sitting in the theater, like, like fuck, they're burning this man. <laughs> this guy's fucking like he's so tall. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the quick premise of it is uh, we have Air Force officers and a reporter uh, up in uh, was it Anchorage, Anchorage Alaska. Alaska. They catch wind that some scientists at the North Pole have found uh, some kind of aircraft. Um, so they go up to investigate it with them. The reporter, of course, tags along. Right. Um, and then we've got the great scene with them heading out to it. The, sh- the, the aircraft was so hot that it melted, uh, the ground and it went down under to the point where we just have a fin exposed. Um, uh, the great scene of them <coughs> standing in a circle to gauge how big it is. Yeah. I mean, that's just wonderful. Oh, cause you, you, you kind of think you know what it is, but mm-hmm. then they're like, We'll, we'll span out. Everybody get on the perimeter of it. And then all of a sudden, like, everybody branches their arms. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a saucer. Yep. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit. It's a saucer. And uh, it's oh, interesting, too. It gets the sci-fi uh, yeah. stuff running with the compass not working when they show up because of uh, what appears to be yeah, yeah. radiation. And, um, the Geiger, they use Geiger counters on everything in this yeah. movie. Yeah. And, and uh, if I remember correctly, they're gauging, um, like, things about the ship and tracking it with radar and all that. To show, like, you know, 
how fast it was moving, right. and then it moved up. And yeah. Um, so they attempt, uh, was it thermite bombs around the ship to, <laughs> to I, get to it? They might and, not uh, chuckle at the fact they, they blew yeah. this thing up. Well, but there's something in the that ship's particular metal that they never dreamt of right, that, that right. causes it uh, to disintegrate. And they're devastated. They're like, we've just ruined everything. Uh, and then they find the, thing. the pilot, yes. potentially. Uh, and this time... It's a little smaller. They take a different approach, cut it out, bring the ice block back. And I love uh, the scene where they put them in the storeroom and leave the windows open to keep it cold in he there. He takes the gun and breaks the yeah. window. He's like, am I got a problem with this? Yeah, I love and that. Uh, <laughs> everything would have been fine if you just keep the electric mic to yourself. <laughs> the guy doesn't like it looking at him while he's taking his turn of keeping it watch and throws an electric blanket on it. Covers him up with an electric blanket. As that a viewer, yeah, at, as a viewer, we just have to forgive that because we do have to get it out of there. Uh, but then, basically, um, we deal with much of what we've come to know in the remake as well with the uh, inner struggle of being trapped with something. The only difference is, is this is tangible, visible creature right but we still have the same turmoil uh, within each other just kind of different motives on what they're arguing about and uh we just take different attempts to destroy it and we've got scientists who are trying to prevent that just like creature from the black lagoon uh with the the interest of studying it and preserving it versus you idiot it's going to kill us and there's that great scene where the doctor says you know life is not in, as important as you know, learning from this. Right. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, the scenes you talk about are great with them setting it on fire and it jumping out and going out to get in the snow. And oh, that first that first time we get to see it when they open that door to mm-hmm. go into the room. Oh, just because you're not expecting it. Yep. Oh, and when the dog fell out of the box, that shit scared me. I was just like, oh shit! Like you, they were like, it's in here. Yeah. And do that classic thing where they walk over and then they lift the lid and the bottom falls out and the dog rolls out. I'm like, Jesus yeah. Christ. Uh, Especially I, since he was outside beating up the dogs. Like, I could see why little cool. Lindsay was so scared. Yep. No shit. <laughs> um, I like that they find the creature's arm ripped off out outside from where right. it had been the roaming dog. around. Right. and Which leads us to the idea that this uh, being came from a planet that evolved from plants, not animals. Which I think, you know, if you're a sci-fi fan, it's just excellent. Makes you uh, certainly start wondering what exactly we're dealing with. Um but yeah, it's it's feeding on blood. It's killing the dog, um, and yeah, we, I mean we've touched on on the great scenes. We come down to the the big uh, big standoff where they plan to rig it up uh, with stuff in the to electrocute it from the base and the ceiling. Yeah, they're gonna use an arc. They're gonna use an arc of electricity. Yeah. And then uh, the self righteous scientist flips the power as it comes out. Which is for the viewer about as good as it gets. You're like, oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> they are in the in the hallway in the dark with it. Um, but you know they go in and, and fight back with the scientists and get the power flipped on, and uh, we basically disintegrate the creature right. right down into a pile there. But I mean, man, this just this has you use your imagination the entire time. There's so many great things. It's like, what do you do with a vegetable? You yeah. cook it. You know, it's like, yeah. what do we do with this? That's I love that. Um, the, the, the scientist was actually reproducing these things. He was growing them with the blood bank. You know, like, there's mm. little things. It was just like, well, fuck you. If you guys aren't going to help us, we're going to try this on our own. You yeah. know? I thought that was great. And then the fact that the thing starts fighting back at them by trying to freeze them out. Mm-hmm. And that's, John. you know, that goes back to the John Carpenter, you know, like, where they're outside. All you see is just breath. Like, yep. as they're talking, all you see is breath, man. I... I 
I like this movie. I like this movie. I think a lot. the only thing I didn't like about the movie, and it wasn't enough to take me out of it, but I, I felt the woman was out of place. And I'm sure she was she thrown in. She's a good actress, but yeah. yeah, and I'm like just for the time the time period, it's like an Air Force base with scientists, and she's neither. Yeah. Um, I think she's there because she's somebody's boo. She didn't need to be there, <laughs> but it never took me completely out. Uh, yeah. And every time, every time the thing was on the screen. I was unsettled, and I thought it was frightening. And for watching yeah. it now, a 1951 movie with, you know, limited effects, um, it holds it, up well. Yeah, it was very, very effective. Great music. Um, I, I like all. I typically will watch this, then the thing, then the prequel. Yeah, so uh, I, well, I, I, I love running through all. Of I, them. I watched all three back to back because I, I like all three. I think the remake's one of the best ones ever. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I've never read the short story, and I. I and the, I like it so well, I plan on like seeking it out, and like I'd like to read the little short story that yeah, that'd the be who cool. goes there. I think it's interesting too to think that uh, remakes tend to be successful uh, with science fiction involved, because as you know, technology but, but is they, involved. It helps but they, with the storyline. They use the rules because they're the thing, the updated version with John Carpenter. The technology has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, how we do special effects has changed. The blob. The yeah, blob. and they, movies they, they, those old. movies were all like necessary. They, I think, um, I don't know how much I would want to be tampered with the blob, but the fly alone has. There's technology right now since '85 that's changed so much. Yeah, the fly would be relevant if it done right. A copycat? Who cares? Uh, I recommend the thing. Uh, the thing definitely. from another planet. I, I definitely do. And that's just one of those ones you got to sit down. I agree with you about the woman because it was literally, uh, but you could look at it, it's 1951. And what was she doing? Copy and type. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what, it was literally, she gave it was women, to, it, yeah, yeah, it was women's office work and she gave the, the captain something to do. Yeah. Or, well, I'm not sorry, something, but you know, like yeah. it, we, we brought in that kissing kind of thing. Yeah. Cause at the end it was like, they're trying to convince it's the captain to settle down. Yeah. 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 Trying to get I, a little something for yeah, everybody no, I in there. I, I definitely will be re- probably rewatching this a lot and the, I the whole oh, definitely. the yeah. whole thing franchise like I like all three movies so agreed uh, do we have anything in closing just to say about anything overall that we've covered oh man like uh, like I said I'd only seen one of these movies going into it so it was neat to take it to travel back in time and watch some old things and I had so much fun watching these movies I think like if we cover a, a nightmare or a it follows or something like that. Like those get really deep, really dark, really. I mean, not that they're not saying that's bad, but those take you to a certain place. But watching this, you could just kick back and still be scared, yeah. but be fun. They want to, yeah, they yeah. want to scare you, but they want to entertain you. Exactly. Yeah. So they, there's a whole different vibe watching yeah, very these true. movies. So I, I like doing this. Yeah. No, I, I love covering these movies. I, I would, I would like to do another black and white. In the future, I yeah, that. I definitely. The 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 four movies were all excellent. Um, you know, two I'd never seen before watching. Well, I think this, it's so. great too that everybody. Uh, I don't know how. I, I, how I will say the big it. biggest thing. I don't care what time. I don't care when a movie's made. Like I hate I hate fucking movie snobs. Yeah. So if some some person's like, I don't watch anything in black and white, or that's before my time, yeah, like you, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. yeah. Like if by saying that about you just these, need to learn how movies, to watch them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and, and these you didn't even yeah, need anything. Yeah. Well, that's they're what just, I'm like. They're just a good movie's a good movie. Yeah. Um, I think our group, regardless, appreciates black and white. I I do know some people that refuse to watch something. Yeah. They're lost. Uh, it's it's really weird to me, but yeah. 
Well, I, you know, I'm glad we covered them because as time marches on, these movies start to fade away a little bit from the zeitgeist. So I feel like we're doing our part oh, uh, by yeah. putting them out there on a podcast. Maybe maybe you, the listener, a uh, few of you out there at least, will maybe check out a few of these, if not all, where before you didn't have any interest. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you've seen all of them. I don't yeah, know. maybe not. Maybe they're just uh, like, well, man, you guys are dumb. But either way, <laughs> I'm I'm really glad we covered. I'm really glad everybody enjoyed them. Yeah. So I I had a blast covering them. I definitely agree that we should uh, do it again. Oh, definitely. So uh, anything else, gentlemen? No. Uh-huh. I'm all good. right. All right. With that said, uh, we thank you all for stopping in and giving you, giving us an hour and ten minutes of your time and listening. Uh, it has been a blast. I'm Professor Wagstaff, joined by Mad Chan. Hi, Toddy. Signing off. Stay scared.